the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe, smash that like, and come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate. Oh, boy. A little bit later than we normally are because, remarkably, (laughs) a game that had 22 total points didn't end until about three hours and 40 minutes of game time had passed. Don't always have that. Final score. Florida State 16, Louisville 6. The Seminoles finish 13 and 0. That is just one of many results that we are about to get to uh, here in this. And, and look, we the Cover 3 tailgate is rocking. The college football world is rocking. Because when I held up that Iowa Hawkeyes pad with 16 different scenarios, and I told you all, about all how I'd gamed them all out. We've we've got the one. We've got the one with the most chaos, the most controversy, the most debate. And I this I, I don't know if I'm happy or if I'm just embracing it. Because here's what I think needs to happen. I think we need to spend a little bit of time having the conversation that everybody's having, but then we also need to talk football. Is that good? Like I watched a ton of football today. I would love to talk about Chuck Martin. I would love to talk about um, 
What's that? Well, Bud, what was the final total? Was it 234 yards and five touchdowns for Kamani Vidal? Like, I mean, (laughs) there was some amazing performances. I mean, you know, as like Avion Smith, like when when you can win a MAC title going just six for 16 throwing the ball, you know, you just, it's it's a great stuff. But I think that we need to start with the conversation, especially because the Florida State game just went final. So, we have Michigan, 13-0. One seed, right? Maybe two. Washington maybe one seed? Mm-hmm. You can, okay. There's an argument to be made that Washington is a better overall resume. Than Michigan, based on strength of schedule, number of mm-hmm. ranked wins. That's a, that's a good debate. Um, Texas three? I think so. Ahead of Florida State or Florida State three? Possibly. <laughs> That's, I, I, I'm not sure about the seeds. I think I know who the four teams will be, though. But I don't know. Like, I, I think probably Washington won, but I, I don't know if they'll do it. Like, that normally I think the committee sticks to a, kind of a defined ranking, you know, rubric for the last one. I think they make up all this stuff for TV throughout the season, but for the last one, it's pretty predictable. But this is also the last four-team playoff, and we also have like entire conferences going away, and we have winners of conferences who, who will no longer be in those conferences. So I, I don't know what the politicking is going to look like tonight and tomorrow morning in that room. Like I really don't know what's going to happen here. It's it's going to be interesting. Like Tom was talking before the show, either the games will matter or they won't. Mm-hmm. We'll find out. And if the games matter, if you're trying to sell that as something that truly mean something in this sport and your playoff is to determine the, the national champion then the four teams will be michigan washington florida state and texas in some order because three of them are undefeated and texas beat alabama which beat georgia so it's pretty cut and dried but i can't sit here and pretend i know what the people in that room are going to do anything is possible we'll see in 2012 when the BCS group of managers got together and agreed upon the formation of the college football playoff, the four-team format that is now in its 10th season, they dictated that championships won, strength of schedule, head-to-head results, and results against similar opponents are the four tenets of how you break ties between comparable teams. Mm -hmm. If Texas and Alabama have championships that Georgia does not, and Mm -hmm. Texas beat Alabama, and Alabama beat Georgia, then we have a set that has to go Texas- Alabama, Georgia. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Georgia's not in this discussion, right? Like, like are we maybe maybe my, my criteria or I'm, I'm misunderstanding what the committee's saying. Like, nobody's really considering Georgia in this, right? Not after Florida State won tonight. I don't think Correct. Georgia has a prayer. Yeah. I, uh, no. But I mean, that, that and is Texas has the best win of the season, not Alabama. 
Yeah, like Texas beating the SEC champion by double digits in their own on house the road. is and better also, than a field goal win. Yeah, sorry. That that win looks even better after Alabama beats Georgia. Like that win improves even more. So yeah, it's the best win of the season. Although it would be hilarious if the committee decides that Alabama beating Georgia is a better win than Texas beating Alabama. <laughs> Dude. Gonna be interesting. What do you think? Um, what do I think would happen, or what do I think they're going to choose? Yeah. Go do you here. really think the SEC is going to be left out of the college yes. football playoff in the twenty twenty three season? Yes. Yeah, I do. And I mean, here's just you, you're going to hear a lot of arguing about how Georgia would beat the four teams in there, and Alabama would beat the four teams in there. And to be clear, I think Alabama and Georgia would beat Florida State. I think Alabama and Georgia would beat Michigan. I think Alabama and Georgia could beat Washington. I, I, I think Alabama could beat Texas, but didn't. But the point is, what I think will happen has no bearing or should have any bearing or what anybody thinks would happen should have any impact on who gets chosen because what's supposed to matter is what has happened. And what has happened is three teams finished undefeated and won their conference and Texas went one loss, won its conference, and beat another one of the conference champions. So we'll see. And the SEC will get left out, but now SEC fans get to experience what it's been like to be a fan of any other team in any other conference for the entirety of the BCS and the college football playoff going to bed the night before. Not sure you're going to get in. It's not as fun when the rabbits got the gun. Well, the SEC could have taken care of business in the non-conference, right? And not ducked teams and not lost out-of-conference games that it normally wins. Like, you could tell me the SEC is the best league this year. I don't really think that that is incorrect. It's but it's not the best league by a mile. Yeah. Right? Like, like it, it's much closer to the other leagues than normal. Um, last year ain't this year, right? Last year, Georgia had big-time defensive linemen on the middle of that defense. Guess what? They play for the Eagles now. I don't really care that Georgia won the title last year, right? What did you do this year? How did your league stack up this year? It's this year's title. We're not playing for the title of the decade. So I'm not saying anything that wasn't said in, on very big stages, but since this is the Cover 3 podcast, and since I did say it all day, even before all these other posers who are obviously watching CBS Sports HQ said it, my thought Friday night, is that this is exactly why your what would the spread be argument is totally in the grave right now. Mm -hmm. Because Washington was a nine and a half point underdog and they were up 10 nothing. They were at what, 17 3, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or 21. Yeah. They won. It was 20 to 3. Yeah. They were up 20 to 3 at one point. They were up 20 to 3 at one point and they won. And they won the Pac 12 championship. Alabama was an underdog of nearly a touchdown. Things moved down. I think it was five and a half by the time we actually closed, but that is an underdog. In fact, this conference championship weekend had more underdog success than we have seen in most conference championship weekends. So miss me with the idea that just because a power rating or Vegas says that a team that is going to be left out of the college football playoff when they announce it on Sunday morning, just because they would be favored on a neutral field in the Rose Bowl or the Sugar Bowl against a team that got in, 
does not matter. And so I hear Kirby Smart when he's like, when Bill Hancock, the executive director, <laughs> you know, like everybody's invoking the name of Bill Hancock just because he's the executive director, outgoing executive director, by the way, <laughs> um, invoking his name as though like his word is gospel. I, I heard our, I heard our friend Josh Pate. He was because he even Josh did a good job uh, and, you know, classic Josh, like he did a good job of both like presenting every side of the argument within the context of explaining it. And he said, if we are to take this as gospel, then this, I might have an issue with it, but this, I don't think we take Bill Hancock's word as gospel because he's not on the freaking committee. Yeah. All right. So look, you, the games, ha this has been said everywhere. The games have to matter. Right? Like, do they? I don't know. Like watching the broadcast tonight, it seems like they don't matter. Washington. We'll beat Oregon as a nine and a half point underdog. Alabama beat Georgia as an underdog. Like, do not trot out these spread. Like, shoot, Florida State was only a one and a half point favorite. And they won that game by 10. Mm -hmm. So, like, these, these power ratings and these potential, like, Vegas point spreads should not determine how we decide the national championship. There have been so many years in college football's history where the, like, Big air quotes in our tiny little box here with my hotel room set up. Best team <laughs> isn't in the like BCS National Championship. And why are they not there? Because you corked it. Because you messed up. Because you didn't win every single one of your games. And if you are a team that wins every single one of your games, like Michigan did, like Washington did, like Florida State did, then you get a shot at the National Championship. And I mean, the other thing too, like, this this year, the SEC didn't do as well in non-conference. Had the SEC done its typical job in non-conference this year and just beat the hell out of everybody like it normally does, Alabama's probably in the top four. But they didn't this year. And I just I feel like a lot of SEC fans and SEC media types just aren't used to being in this position. And they're kind of just like, oh, there's no way they could leave us out. Like even Saban said, you can't leave the SEC out of the playoff. Why not? There is no rule within the selection committee that says the SEC is guaranteed an automatic berth. The SEC champion gets a spot in the tournament. There's nothing there that says it has to happen. The SEC can be left out of the playoff, just like the Pac-12 has been left out, like the Big 12 has been left out, the Big 10 and the ACC. You're no different than anybody else. You've just been better than everybody else. Except for this year. Mm-hmm. I, I saw Alabama's AD uh, grumbling about maybe we won't schedule these non-conference games. You know who's really happy they scheduled a non-conference game? Texas. Yeah. Because they won that non-conference game. <laughs> I bet you Texas is damn thrilled that they played Alabama, and they whipped them in their house. Like, Look, I, I completely get it as far as we think the networks run the sport. Like, Does Florida State look as good now as they did with Jordan Travis? Clearly not. Did their offense look any worse tonight than Michigan's looked? Not really. Slightly, but not much. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I Honestly, Michigan scored on a, a nine-yard drive after a fumble and a punt return to the two. Yeah, they're two they, touchdown drives, 11 total yards. <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. So I I kind of – I'm not really 100% sure FSU is going to be in, right? I don't know what they'll do. I, precedent, does it matter if, if this whole thing is going away, if, if, the, if all the conferences are blown up? I really don't know what they'll do. Like, they may just throw – precedent of taking the most deserving teams which is what they do every year basically they may just throw it out the window 
What might help up help FSU here is it was their third stringer, right? And you get to say, hey, a lot of guys on that defense are going to be drafted, right? You get a month for Keon Coleman to, to you know to heal up, right? You get Bell to heal up, like he was like basically a non-factor tonight. So you get your backup in, not your third stringer. That's I think an argument that will probably be presented there within the committee. We'll see. Like to Tom's point, though, if, if we just went chalk. If we just went power ratings, Ohio State doesn't beat Miami in the Fiesta Bowl, right? Michigan plays Georgia last year for the national title. Oh, wait, no, we let TCU in, which is something everybody wants to point to as such an egregious mistake. Guys, TCU won the first round game. Like, mm-hmm. we don't really, we can predict this sport decently, not perfectly. That's kind of what makes it fun. Yes. I will say there is one precedent they could set if they leave Florida State out. And that is you can never claim again that the games matter if you're going to right. throw out a 13-0 and 0 conference champion's entire season. Because, again, the, I, I understand Florida State does not look as good as it did earlier in the year. But the fact it was still able to win the last two games of the season, including its ACC championship game, with a third-string quarterback doesn't mean they suck. It's typically a sign that the they're game. good. Like, they had it, to put a knee brace on them. In in the past, when we've seen Ohio State win with backup quarterbacks or an S, like SC, Alabama benches Jalen for two or the other way around, it's a sign of how great they are. But for some reason now, when the SEC is staring at the abyss of not being in the playoff, it's a sign of how bad you are if you need your backup quarterback to win a game. It's just it's it's incredible the kind of loops and double standards we put on different teams based on their conference. Any. Anything else? Because I, I, I mean, I was just about to jump into it. I mean, obviously, we just came off of it. Like I, I've got, I've got flowers for Tatum Bethune. I've got flowers for Braden Fisk. I've got flowers for Jared Verse. Like the, the dudes that were just carrying that Florida State and Florida State's playoff hopes. You, you want to go ahead and get into that, or you anything else on the? Because uh, here's the deal. Um, we're going to be back with you at twelve fifteen p.m. Eastern time. They are supposed the show to announce the uh, college football playoff um, matchups is going to be at noon Eastern time. We are going to be live at YouTube.com/slash Cover Three at twelve fifteen p.m. Eastern time, breaking down those matchups, analyzing the decisions. Um, so we. We're going to have some, some time to do that. Anything else on just sort of the, the general conundrum that we have right now before we get into the actual games? Do you think they care if the games matter? We'll find know. out. I mean, and I, with going to the 12-team playoff, we'll have more auto bids with conference champions, right? So you may not have the situation. Like the four-team, I don't want to get in. It's like, was it the right number? Was it the wrong? My argument was always like, this this type of scenario could happen, and it's not a good thing for the sport. Like four, just I, I'm I'm fine with going back to two. I just thought four was a uniquely poor number for the for the construct of the. Oh sport yeah, you were that in that we since like SB Nation, right? Mm-hmm. Like since yeah, I'm like like two is fine, six is fine, eight is fine, twelve is fine. Four is uniquely bad for reasons that we don't need to get into tonight. Do they care? One like they they may not care if the games matter, right? It's a TV product and they rig it. Okay, I I, I if you tell me that, I buy it. We'll see. It might take a little bit of time for us to get all the way back to Friday night, which seems like a year ago to me. Um, but I doubted Washington at like every step. They played seven straight one score games. 
but they won seven straight one-score games. They're entering this college football playoff. And you know what? I don't, we'll see what the matchup is. I might be a doubter again, but they, they deserve a shot at the national championship. And like the Washington argument, the Florida state argument, like that's that the, this is why college football is so unique. Why the drama of every single Saturday has so many people investing in us, right? Like we appreciate all of the, like every, you mentioned, uh, everyone sharing their Spotify wrapped and we're getting a lot of like love and we really do like it. It is overwhelming to like actually see the, the people that have enjoyed the cover three podcast during this season. Um, and we hope that we've been able, we're going to continue to deliver this product for you. But the reason why everyone's invested is because it's special because the games matter because showing up on a Saturday night and listening to an instant reaction show, it's not just like a ho-hum thing. Because every single game is carries some significance for the teams that are trying to be, maybe you're competing for a national championship, maybe you're trying to get a, to a bowl, maybe you're trying to beat your rival. Like There's so many different levels of what you could go for that it casts a wide net. and People care. Games have to matter, man. Have to. It's like key to the soul of the sport. It's been the foundation of my concern about the playoff from the very start. So we'll see. All right. Now to get to something that we are really, I'm whatever. I'll be cocky about this. We're really, really good at. It's called breaking down the games on Saturday. So coming up on the other side, some of our biggest takeaways from all the conference championship Saturday. Next. eBay motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, and we start to turn our attention. Oh, actually, before we do that, uh, we got a lot of people who are tuned in with us live, and we understand why. It's been an extremely eventful 24 to 36 hours in college football. If you are new here, do us a favor. 
hit that subscribe, hit that like. Uh, you know, if you do subscribe, you get to join us in the Cover Three tailgate. We appreciate everybody that does so. Uh, if you're listening to this later, uh, thank you as always for your commitment to the Cover Three podcast. So, bud, let's start with what just happened. You, have you caught your breath yet? I mean, I just when you're running out a third string quarterback who then gets hurt, like basically every single snap matters a whole lot, right? It, it's uh, it wasn't in, in some ways like watching a Big Ten West game, you know, or like watching uh, Bama LSU from 2011, where the nine to six game would score. Depends on if you're, you know, it, what, what conference it is, if, if we think it's good football or not. It, it was really not. Oh, whoa, whoa, don't it do that. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got, I'm, I got, I'm, mess, I'm just messing with you. Yeah, I, I know you're yeah. messing, but there were not that many NFL players on the field tonight. There were so a lot of NFL reason. players, but not as many NFL players. That 9-6 Bama LSU game is legit one of my favorite football games of all time. <laughs> that was insane. Yes. That was probably the best defensive effort I've seen from a Florida State team since September of 2005 when they had no offense. It was the Labor Day opener against Miami, and they ended up having – was it Brock Berlin they sacked 12 times in that game? And then Miami ends up missing the field goal after she wins 10-7. All those missed field goals kind of blend together for me, so I can't remember who the quarterback was. This was a Miami miss because the guy muffs the – he he muffs the snap, if I recall – if I remember that 05 Miami team also had multiple quarterbacks. If it was Berlin, I'd believe it. But yeah, sure. I mean, that was just an insane defensive effort. Like you Louisville, we talked, you know, pregame. Pretty good offensive team for most of the year. Not an amazing offensive team, but a team that you can generally bank on to score. They put what, you know, 30 something on Kentucky and lost on a kickoff return last week. You held them to six points. Under 200 yards, 14 tackles for loss, seven sacks. I mean, sticky coverage. I, I was I was shocked that Florida State covered as well as they did. Um, and they basically knew they had to be perfect. And they weren't like perfect, but they were about as close to perfect as you're going to see from a college defense. That was really impressive. Yeah, I, I tweeted it during the game because it was – because of the playoff conversation and because of the Jordan Travis injury, like all the focus in this game was like, oh my God, I don't, Florida State doesn't look good enough to be in the playoff. They should be left out. And I'm sitting there watching the game like, yeah, the offense does not look good. But at the same time, I'm sitting there thinking, Louisville's got its starting quarterback in. Louisville's got a whole lot of its starters in on the offensive side. It's got a great head coach in Jeff Brom, somebody who we talked about all week is excellent at like scheming things up, especially against a defense that's going to play as much man coverage as Florida State did. And I was like, this defense is playing it with its hair on fire. Like it was a tremendous performance from the Florida State defense. The offense sucked and there is absolutely no getting around it. But they only gave up six points to a team that's ranked in the top 15 that scores a whole lot of points most weeks. And I mean, I'm not going to see there all of a sudden and say Jack Plummer is a very good quarterback because I have said all year that I don't think Jack Plummer is a very good quarterback, but I don't think he's a 14 for 36 for 111 yards quarterback either. So, yeah, I mean, that was a very, very impressive defensive performance from Florida State in the game when they needed it most. It was high risk because it had to be, mm-hmm. right? Like you, 
you can't run a defense if you got a third string quarterback out there that's going to give up 20 or or 17 like they're yeah. they, but they played like they knew it yes like that's that, what i'm saying like yes. they, they played like aggressive press coverage the entire time they ran tons of games up front like it was like hey got to knock them off their track got got to get a lot of tackles for loss got to probably try to create turnovers you know to flip the field and and they 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 did it like I thought they were super honestly one of the reasons why in this game why you didn't have very many completions was both sides were just grabby as hell. I was like, "Oh, whoa, okay." Like now Plummer played better than Glenn did, I think, but not by a lot. And that was large in large part due you know to the defense. Braden Fisk had nine tackles from his defensive tackle spot. Like that's a guy that walks around in the boot for most of the week and then they they, they let him loose to go rip. That's a guy that I think if you're Florida State if you make it into the playoff, you're excited about him getting healthy. The other guy that I, I think, I don't know if Norvell's talked about this yet. I'm assuming he will, uh, or at least somebody in the committee will know. They get Daryl Jackson back for the playoff. Oh, with the waiver, because mm-hmm. he gets in after the semester. Daryl Jackson wrecks FSU in practice. Like Daryl Jackson might be Florida State's best defensive tackle. So I. Do I think they would score a lot of points in a playoff game? I do not. Do I think a lot of people would score a lot of points on them in a playoff game? If you get Daryl Jackson back? No, I also do not. Like, it will probably be a battle. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to spin it ahead because I do think there was a little bit of what we saw that was unique to college football. Like, the reasons why the games have to matter because whether it is the leadership in that locker room from the player standpoint or whether it's the coaching staff, they they're like they came out here on fire, you know. Like yeah. Jared Verse, Bra- again Jared Verse, Braden Fisk, Tatum Bethune, Kalen Deloach, the Saint. Go back to September when they're gonna lose to Clemson, and Kalen Deloach says no. Like that's that that was my sort of like strong thought was <clears throat> whether it came from. Again, like Adam Fuller, the defensive coordinator, like maybe, I don't know, but those are also just some old guys. You know, like yeah. Braden Fisk has been playing college football for a long time. He came from Western Michigan. Jared Verse started his career at Albany. You know, like you've just, you've got these journeymen who clearly had, you know, whether it was explicit and said or whether they just sort of all knew, they're like, you, everything that we have done in our college careers, the decision to come to Florida State, where we have been, it is on us to go and win this game. And I felt like Florida State's defense went and did it. I mean, it was just, again, that if you want to look for like the heart of a champion, uh, our buddy Robbie Calland was, uh, was, was talking me into it um, uh, earlier in the week. He was like, I'm not going to doubt the heart of the Husky. I'm not going to doubt the heart of the Husky. And we'll get to Washington in just a little bit. But, you know, he was going through all the one scores like, I don't know, man, just just something a little extra. And it was just that little bit of extra that Florida State's defense had. That was the we are not going to lose. And then college sports like that, that stuff matters. And so I was incredibly impressed by the the DNA, the fabric, whatever you want to call it, the guts that Florida State (laughs) showed in terms of uh, those defensive players uh, to be able to lead the Seminoles to a victory. Anything else from uh, from this one we want to highlight? 
I was a little bit disappointed in Florida State's offense. I, I understand I it was Brock yeah. Glenn, but like, I, I kind of thought everybody could have been a little bit better on that like side. 15 they practices in a page. month before they play again. Things could look a lot different by the time you see Florida State again. But, but I will That's say... That's a good point. I hadn't yeah. thought about that. I, I always enjoy a football game in which a punter gets tackled trying to kick the ball still. That's just... <laughs> that, yeah, that was... Uh... <laughs> We're I just not going to block these the three guys over here. Just let them get a free run. <laughs> also, by the way, like if I'm going to do double shout outs to Robbie, I hadn't heard from Robbie in like two days and got a text from him right before the show started. He said, Jack Plummer, my man, you need to go pro in something other than sports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All aim for you. <laughs> What, do, Bud? Do you not want to bury this guy? Like, are you? Are you uh, no, I, I look. I, I, I do think we should recognize like Louisville had a really, really nice season. Like, yes, yeah, that's yeah. That's but like, one of the last times we talked about the about end result, they had a manageable schedule. Everybody took the over on their win total. Las Vegas loved them to be able to have a pretty good season and contend for an ACC title, and they did, and they were yeah. right there. And if you had a quarterback, am I Louisville ticket? You're an ACC champion. Oh yeah! Oh, oh no! Oh man! Yeah. That's what you were reaching for. You were reaching for the <laughs> ticket to rip. Off. I knew it was up here somewhere. For those watching on YouTube.com/slash/cover3, we just saw. I've seen a lot of buds, um, a lot of buds futures tickets pulled out. That's that's one of the very few. Seriously, I. I Seriously, this is one of the very few I've seen actually be shredded here live on air. I had over on UTEP this year, too, so I, I we, <laughs> we don't bet a thousand, but yeah, that's I don't know. It was it, it was not the most enjoyable watch, it was not the I felt at home. I don't know what game. you're talking about. I just but, that was like a it's a nice, comfortable couch for me. Just watching that game, nice and warm and comfy. Just like I've been here a billion times. Shout out to David Cobb. I was live blogging the uh, Florida State Louisville game for most of the game, and then all of a sudden it was running late. We had a show to get ready for, and I was like, "God, ah, this is this is a lot to handle." Game was still in doubt, so thank you, David. I appreciate you uh, helping tie everything up uh, there at the end. I will point uh, out, and this is a competitor site, so I'm not going to. Uh, I, but there, there is a site that runs like live odds you can bet on during games. Heisman playoff. Before the kickoff, Alabama was minus 1,000 to make the playoff. Right now, minus 140. Yeah, I mean, because it's a, it's a five to four proposition, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Could have gotten seven to one on on Bam and a miss, uh, it, like right after all the hysteria of that game. If, if, if you you know, Be interesting tomorrow. All right, let's talk games. You're right. Yes, <laughs> let's talk games. I'm gonna put Michigan Iowa on the back burner. Is that okay? Aww. Nick did it to him. Nick did it to him again. I, I, I hope I said it here on cover three, but I did have the sense that if it was close, 
I had more faith in Alabama winning from the vibes perspective, right? Vibes GPT says, if you're going to, if you're going to get one of these quarterbacks, if you're going to get one of these offenses, one of these teams that's going to get caught in a dogfight, like I think Alabama coming out of what they just did to Auburn, just going to have like a little bit of extra juice versus the team that had been sitting with the number one beside its name all season long. And yeah, like, Against Missouri, it was a little bit close. Slow start against South Carolina. Slow start against Auburn. But just blew the doors off Ole Miss and dominated Tennessee. And while Georgia Tech had a close final margin, you never really had that. You never really had to fight quite like Alabama has had to fight throughout the entire season. I hadn't thought about this. Great championship Saturday for vibes. Um <laughs> What did we see along the way? Because Alabama-Georgia felt like it was truly a heavyweight bout where there were like three or four different chapters in terms of what was happening. Tom, where do you want to start in terms of like what, what stands out to you out of the game? That I don't think offensively either team really played well. I w- after, hold on. Yes, in the second half. The end of the, the game half for sure. But yeah, I, I mean, even in the entire game, Alabama finished with 4.8 yards per play. It's not like they were tearing it apart all day. I think what st- stood out was to me, the first thing I noticed was we've talked about it. You know, Georgia, for the most part, all year long would come out in a base defense and wait to see what you were trying to do to it before it would start tinkering and changing things up and doing the stuff it wanted to do. That was not the case today. Georgia came right out of the gate, like double spying Jalen, trying to keep him in the pocket. And it became clear, which not altogether unpredictable, considering what we've talked about Jalen Milrow being. They wanted to keep Jalen locked up in the pocket and they wanted to take away the deep ball. And they were going to be like, all right, bro, hit the singles in the doubles. And if you could do it enough, cool. And Jalen hit enough singles and doubles. Like Jalen improvised a lot better, I think, than I have seen him at any other point. Like the one play, I I think it was the bond where he was just kind of, he scrambled out of the pocket. He was harried and he just kind of did the Patrick Mahomes flip. Flip. The the little pitch forward. Yeah. Yeah. I was was like, I was like, oh, oh my, I didn't realize Jalen had that in the bag just yet. So I feel like while he didn't have a great game overall from a numbers perspective, I do think that was one of the most impressive performances I've seen from him as far as a passer in that it wasn't always pretty, especially because he got off to such a terrible start. He was like, what, 0 for his first four? And then, you know, so he finished his 13 for 19 after that. But to to overcome the shaky start, to make the plays more often than not when they needed him, he did hang, he did get caught in the pocket too much. He was sacked a little bit too often and he got away with it. But I just feel like that was kind of a very gutsy performance from Milrow against a very good secondary that did, for the most part, a decent job of locking Alabama's receivers up. up because if you look, Bond is the only one who caught more than two passes. Like, they, they had to really spread the ball around to find any kind of success in the air and move it down the field. Georgia was the same story for the most part, although they've kind of been that way all year. So I think the two defenses were the best units on the field for most of the night, but I think as far as players who had the biggest impact or at least made the biggest moments, it was Jalen Milrow. And then on the other side, like 
Bowers and McConkie clearly were, were not 100%. McConkie was like limping off the field every other play. Bowers just looked kind of slow. But even as big as those injuries were, I felt like when they lost Mims, the game really turned because it took away a lot of what they could do on offense because they just no longer really had the, the guys up front who could block Bama. We, we talked a couple weeks ago about live betting against Kent State when they lost their, their tackle. It was like, oh, like, what's the chances Kent State, an awful team, has another, another guy whose body looks like that when he went down, right? Like, Mims is a really important part of that team. He's a freak. We talked about how it was going to be a challenge for him to block the Bama guys. The backup for Georgia, yeah, like Braswell and, and, and Turner did a really nice job on him. I, I thought Nick Saban did a great job of getting Alabama to play or getting Georgia to play Alabama's game. You know, like that's kind of how the game had to be played for Alabama to win it. Like they had less than five yards of play. The offense didn't look good to me, and they won the game. They were they were the more physical football team. They pushed Georgia around a little bit, and it didn't really lead to many, many scores. What did lead to scores for the most part was, I mean, a, a play that I'm like Georgia fans are probably going to make a documentary about because they they seem to oh. think that the refs steal the game from them every time they play Alabama, but. Legitimately, like the bond, yeah, yeah, like like wh- whether or not that was a catch, I tend to think it probably was not a catch because the entirety of the bottom of the ball is laying on the ground and then also moves and bounces around. But like, I mean, who knows? It's twenty twenty three. What's a catch? What's not? Uh, that was huge. And then getting the turnover deep in Georgia's zone, like those two things directly led to scores. Bama obviously earned that. Right. Well, maybe not the bond catch. That that's a four down stop for Georgia and, and probably going the other way. But like Bama was really physical. They they have sort of a more narrow window to win because of how limited they are passing the football. And yet they played within that window and deserved the win. Or at least didn't like clearly deserve to lose. That's um, a hell of a job by Nick Saban. Yeah, I want to get to that in just a second. Uh Kirby, is nuts. Kirby Smart talking to hey. Y'all see Dennis on the broadcast? Mm-hmm. The Dodfather, He's big time now on big CBS, is the one-on-one with Kirby. You know, and uh, and Kirby was doing. I will say that based on the tone of the interview, in case you haven't seen it, it was more explanation than excuse because a lot of it was talking about how proud he was of the team. But he talked about the throw to Jam Miller. He was like, we've got a freshman linebacker in there because we're a little bit banged up. He makes the wrong play because on the wheel route, I mean, that was ridiculous, right? And when you have two defenders on a tight end that's breaking to the inside and your running back is wide open to the flat, like that was a huge moment in the game. Then he talked about, you know, we were down two receivers. I mean, basically Kirby went through an injury report in a, 90 second interview with Dennis Dodd to be able to explain like how proud he was of his team for fighting. And here's all the reasons why things did not go well for us today. He seems to, you know, believe that if you're going to point fingers at why this one score game did not go George's way, seems kind of fine with the idea that it was a lot of it was because of health. But I did have a thought during the game. It faded as Alabama's offense was not as successful in the second half. In fact, it was, you know, if you were to follow like their 
like success rate in real time. It's kind of like a steep downward climb throughout a lot of the second half. Mm -hmm. But after the holding penalty that set up the first and 20, and then it was the Jam Miller touchdown, like the next 10 plays or so, kind of felt like Tommy Reese was in his bag. Kind of thought that, you know, they were doing a good job of keeping Georgia's defense off balance. And maybe some of that is personnel related where they found a couple things they wanted to exploit after halftime. It ends up getting adjusted. But man, new offensive coordinator and Tommy Reese, new defensive coordinator. You've got the whole like who's calling the plays that Lane Kiffin's calling out early in the year. Nick Saban, like the coaching job that he did with this group, a group that he even said himself. You know, I like the way these, I'm paraphrasing here, but like, I like the way these guys practice. I like the way these guys compete. There's kind of this unsaid acknowledgement. They are not as talented as most Alabama teams, but the fact that the fabric of what they've got is uh, something that made him really happy, had him smiling more than ever before. I felt like those things showed up today in Atlanta in the SEC championship. He's loving this win, man. Don't you think, like, God, like, I, I think he knows this team's not that good. I'm not saying, like, like he's out there saying, like, they're, that they're not good. They're good. They're damn good. The defense is really good. But, like, this is, this is winning Nick's way. Like, he's, he's got to be loving it. I, 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 I bet you he really, really enjoyed this one. Um, especially because of how well his defense played the stuff that Georgia was trying to do to get their guys open. To Tom's point, like, with McConkey and Bowers being limited – like, man, how many times did Bama bust? Like, they, they played the switches well. Like, they, they, they played all the crossers well. They've rarely got picked. I mean, we talked about, like, a freshman linebacker getting picked mm-hmm. for the Jam Miller touchdown. How many times did Bama get picked? Right? And like, Bama was like, you have to beat us one-on-one. And Kool-Aid one. got knocked yeah, out they the lost Kool-Aid. Yeah, right, and they exactly. still didn't screw up. Yeah. Darion I mean, Arnold had a great game. Extremely well-coached defensive effort by, by, by Alabama. I Like, that was really really good um Milro no turnovers right nope nope that's that's pretty huge too he did a great job of holding on to the football as he was getting dragged to the ground for 12 yard losses yes (laughs) that was and like Georgia's plan was clear they they were playing like a double spy literally Mm -hmm. on Milro and it was okay if a guy goes to this side cool the other guy drops off but initially like they're playing like two spy which is not a normal defense you play (laughs) You have to really trust your secondary if you are going to be playing two spies. Yeah. And there were a couple of what they got. They got like two pass interference calls on deep throws. Like the deep balls did not necessarily always hit. But the threat of that, especially with everything they were committing to trying to stop Milrow running, led to the one-on-one opportunities that is a couple bond catches controversial or not. That is Jermaine Burton bobbling another one and being able to pull it down in the end zone. Um, whew, it was a fun game. Mm-hmm. It was anything else on, uh, on Bama, Georgia before we uh, hit a break and keep it rocking. No, not really. no. Yeah. Um, I right. was cute. August cute. Mm-hmm. If they don't make it, they should rematch. <laughs> like I, I'd, I'd watch that again. <laughs> so we could, can we do this? Is the Sugar Bowl one of the semis this year? Yeah, right. Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay. So we can't. How about the peach? Put it in the peach. peach bowl. Georgia, Alabama, same stadium, same everything. There's a super wonky conversation that we don't need right now, which is if you're Michigan <laughs> and you're given, because anybody who could be in the running for the one seed gets the opportunity to declare their preference. The one mm -hmm. seed gets to say whether they want to be sugar or rose. Rose Bowl. They'll take the rose. You think you'll take the rose? They're not going to want to play in Atlanta against like a Texas or, you mean New Orleans. or New Orleans against like a Texas or a Florida State. They're going to go to the Rose Bowl. So like Michigan, Texas, and then Washington, Florida State in the sugar? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Right, whoever it is, the number I one seed is going to be extremely, Yeah, I think they would take that right now. Yeah, the number, one, the number one seed will take the Rose Bowl, whoever ends up yes. getting it. Michigan, Florida State, Rose, Washington, Texas, Sugar would make Washington furious. Mm hmm Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Coming up on the other side, let's talk about those Texas Longhorns, what they did in a blowout win against Oklahoma State, plus Michigan's defense dominates against Iowa. A bar continues to sell alcohol, maybe to this moment. <laughs> and more next. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So we started, um, we had a great check-in with 24-7 Sports uh, National College Football Reporter Matt Zenitz on CBS Sports HQ as part of our uh, pregame show. And it was, you know, sort of Quinn Ewers related. You know, the, the idea that, you know, Quinn, you know, could be coming back to Texas. What does that mean? And then he throws for like, I don't know, half a mile in yards against Oklahoma State. Gets a little bit hurt. That was scary, but then comes, you know, back into the game. We started the day with style points. 49 to 21 is the final for the Texas Longhorns against Oklahoma State. Um, but this, this Longhorns team had gave us a little bit of everything because I thought their defense was feisty. Like, I mean, Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy were unblockable once again. Sweat even jumps in with a touchdown reception, hits the Heisman pose. Hello. That was awesome. What do you see out of the Longhorns? So I, I was on with Luganville and Roddy Jones. Uh, on on Sirius the other day, and I said something that kind of made him like stop. And I said like, 
when it comes to playoff time, I jack all, everybody's rating to what their ceiling is. And I have Texas as the number two ceiling in the country. Like, they don't always play like that, but I think their ceiling is better than, than just about everybody's. Georgia being the one team that I think has a better ceiling. They played kind of to that ceiling today, right? Like, they have a lot of really, really good players. They have an elite play caller in Steve Sarkeesian. They don't always play to this level, but their their A game, it's like facing a good pitcher, right? He's got a lot of good stuff. If he's if he's around the plate, you're probably not beating him. You know, if he's walking everybody and they're sloppy, you may have a chance. They created 342 yards after the catch today. <laughs> Yo, 342 after the catch. Mm-hmm. I think like three quarters of Quinn Ewer's passes were behind the line of scrimmage, and it didn't matter. Because they formation and motion the hell out of the Oklahoma State defense. I, I think Brian Nardo, Nardo, the, the Oklahoma State D coordinator, I thought he'd done a tremendous job all year. Oak State loses their best linebacker and their best corner in like the first quarter. I'm like, oh man, it's time to do some live betting, gentlemen, because the, I, I'm pretty sure I've watched a lot of this Oklahoma State team. I've sweated this 60 to 1 future the whole time, and I am really certain here they don't have depth that could play. And Texas looked much faster. And I mean, they just never adjusted to it, right? Like it was, they they smoked them, kind of running like three or four of the same plays all the time, like different window dressing, but the same concept. Sure. You can't run with us to the flat, and we're going to catch the ball, and we're going to turn it upfield before you can get to us. Well, all right, so the script was flawless, right? Yeah. Um, Ewer Love starts uh, 12 for 12, 14 for 15. You know, he has three touchdown passes before the time anyone's finished their lunch. Um you look at them through the first 17 plays, they were averaging 11 and a half yards per play. <laughs> like Good. then things slowed, right? You know, like you got off the script. Like I got, I thought that to, to the point of everything we've said about Steve Sarkeesian this year, he had dialed in exactly what he wanted. He had gotten on the same page as his quarterback and they were in sync and executed it extremely well at a high level. And Oklahoma State, we talked about it. Like, they did a good job. We were like, hey, that Oklahoma State offensive line did a good job of blocking BYU. <laughs> Didn't block Texas at all. <laughs> <laughs> at all. I mean, it's, the defense was strong, too. So, sorry, Tom. I didn't mean to jump ahead of you there. But I just, I, I thought that start was just representative of a group that was well-prepared to go out and play one of its best football games, to Bud's point as close to its ceiling as it was going to get there for the first quarter, you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes of the game. Yeah, the, the thing about Oklahoma State this year is you tend to know quick what kind of game you're going to get. Like, oh, like they, the UCF game, for example? That is so true. Like, yeah, like if they're, if they're in it at the end of the first quarter, they're going to be in it all four quarters. If, but if they're not out of it after the first five minutes, they're not going to battle their way back. And that's exactly, I mean, this game was done quick. You see Ollie and, Gordon like banging his helmet on the sideline, yeah. and Oklahoma State was they knew like they were mad. They, they were, knew they uh, had no shot at winning this game after five minutes. But like, it, just looking at this, we talk about the script, but like Oklahoma State's offense, all right, and this is according to the stat broadcast. They had five big plays for 140 yards. Texas had 22 <laughs> for 478 yards. Texas was 10 of 16 on third down, despite the average distance being seven yards. And then 
the one thing that I have hammered Texas for all season long, they can't finish drives. Texas had five red zone possessions today. Texas scored five touchdowns on them. It's They were perfect. This was just from start to finish a decimation by a team that, like you're saying, but has a very high ceiling when they are at their best. And they knew, or at least they played like, winning will be good for us, but we kind of need to make a point in the process. And I think that they checked everything they needed to do off the board, or at least every goal that they had going into this game today. Check. We accomplished it. And it was just, I mean, I, I flipped, I, I put the MAC championship game on the main screen pretty quick this morning. Yeah. Um, shout out Calvin Banks. Just moving people. That was that was excellent. It, if we want to nitpick this slightly, I don't think the Texas secondary is great. And the way they play one-on-ones is not... I don't know if you run up against a really good passing attack, how that looks. They In, in the first probably 20 minutes, Oklahoma State really challenged them deep and they caught one they got one pi they got another one that really should have been a pi and and in watching it i was like oh man this is going to change this game because like oklahoma state sees this is what texas is giving them they take it it's a pretty bad non-pi call and then they have to punt and immediately they get the uh the fair catch interference right or face mask Mm -hmm. whatever it was it was like a face mask okay this is this is not a good script for oklahoma state so you know, could a better team exploit Texas by throwing the football down the field? I think that's where we're going to be looking to, well, I guess I just gave away what, what I think we're, we'll, we'll be talking about for the next month w- w- with this playoff, assuming Texas makes it in, which I... I, I oh, like basically the idea that if Texas plays Washington, uh-oh. It, yeah, right. Like maybe there's some some stuff. I mean, of, of all the teams we're talking about, there is not a passing attack like Washington's. Right. Like include throw Alabama in there too, sure. Mm-hmm. But like top Definitely five teams, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying like the throw throw whatever playoff combination you throw out there. If you are concerned about your past defense, then there is a monster that is 13 and 0 that will be in the playoff that you do not want to face because you're not going to run on those guys very well. So Tom and I have to tr- have you turned your husband ballot in yet, Tom? Mm-mm. So we're sworn. I haven't either. We're sworn to secrecy on our Heisman ballot. I do not think we're sworn to secrecy on our Bolitnikoff ballot, right? I don't know. I don't know. You don't? I don't know. I don't think we are. I don't think we are either. So I hope I'm not going to get it taken away. I I won't specifically say it, but I was like really sitting down with it. And I was like, shoot, man. I think Roma Dunze might be the best wide receiver in college football this year. I He had three drops. Mm-hmm. And remember when Tom was talking about the Roma Dunze show about like almost as a criticism, you know, right. But it's like, it was like, we're only targeting Roma Dunze man had three drops all year. Mm-hmm. Incredible stuff. Malik neighbors also would like a word. I understand, but a lot of good wide receivers out there, chip all deserving of our attention and love. Yeah. Hey, listen, listen, Malik Neighbors ain't in the college football playoff. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I can vote for Malik Neighbors. His team lost three games. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that other no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> dude. Daniels to totally sidetrack this. The improvement he made is nuts. 
Oh, well, like as a, a general like wow. Jaden Daniels appreciation moment. Yeah, he used to turn touchdowns into first downs, and now he just like, yeah, just just an, an amazing job. Because we, we, I don't know how much we got to talk about him after the A and M game, and it just kind of ties in with Oregon Washington, which I chips the best host in the business for a reason. So I don't want to jump ahead. I, I assume that's where you're going. Yeah, I absolutely. Like, I mean, dude. DeBoer is 111 and 11 or something like that, or 104 and 11. I, I should probably do some research, look up the stat, but it's like over 111 as a head coach. <laughs> Winners win. Like that's that's a terrible analysis, but some guys do just find a way. To- no, but I'm so proud to hear that come out of your mouth. I mean, Mr. Postgame win expectancy would not say winners win, <laughs> but I am appreciative that you still embrace the winners win side of this. You've Don't got you kind of feel like certain right? coaches find a way? Yes, yes of course. Usually, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I Tom um, did a stellar job of live blogging this game too. Like w- was dialed in and, you know, had way more to talk about than I did having to live blog the ACC championship. I mean, you at least had swings and like big plays. And it was so funny. Everybody was like, check out Tom's live blog. He did a good job of including highlights. And it was really funny because when I was doing the ACC game, I, I had highlights to put in. That's I was scanning the Florida State official account, the Louisville official account, the ACC official account, the ESPN official account. There were no highlights. You had good highlights in there. But it, yeah, like what, how, how'd you, how'd you read uh, Washington, Oregon? Um, it was, it was a, it's a tough get like Washington. It is a weird team to kind of figure out. Like I've, I've said, it's a wagon all sing all year, but I still like the first time that these two teams played, I thought Oregon would win. I thought Oregon would win the rematch and they didn't win either one. And it's kind of like something with buds touching it. Like Kalen DeBoer's teams just always seem to find a way they came out very motivated, clearly, to win this game. And I think that they found something that worked. And they did it repeatedly. Like, there were a whole lot of corner routes that they were hitting against this Oregon team. And Oregon, like, if you look defensively all year long, slot receivers have tended to do well against them. Mm. So they put a Dunze in the, in the slot a lot. He had a huge game. McMillan comes back. He's put in the slot. Like Jalen Polk had been there most of the season with McMillan out, but McMillan comes back. He's healthy. He's in the slot. He has a huge game. And then they figured out how to take away what Oregon does well offensively. Like it's kind of the same similar approach that what Georgia tried to do with Milrow, but Milrow was able to beat him. They took away Bo Nix's strength. Bo Nix wasn't able to beat him. And I think Washington's defensive line played incredibly well and they pressured Bo Nix in the pocket, and they harassed him more than he has been harassed because that offensive line for Oregon on the season has done a terrific job of protecting him and giving him time. That was not the case as well on Friday night. And then I also think, like, I I love Michael Penix. He was not the MVP of that game. They gave it to him, but he wasn't. Dylan Johnson Johnson was the MVP of that game. Dylan Johnson ran for 152 yards. He ran for two touchdowns. He threw for as many touchdowns as Michael Penix did. He had a touchdown pass. And it was one of the things I'm sitting there watching this game and I'm thinking, man, because I think 
Dylan Johnson's claim to fame was the Instagram post he put out when he announced his transfer, when he kind of dogged Mike Leach. And then what happened, you know, the tragedy happened shortly afterwards. And it was just really bad timing on his part. But eliminating that, like, I know Dylan Johnson is from Mississippi and maybe he just wanted to be close to home. But man, you are too good at running the ball to have ever gone to Mississippi State in the first place. He's had nearly as many carries this year as he did in his entire career with the Bulldogs because he was playing in an air raid offense. And I think it was nice for him because he went to Washington clearly because he wanted a chance to showcase his ability as a complete runner, not just a guy who can catch passes out of the backfield. And for him to have that kind of performance in the spotlight in the Pac-12 championship game to clinch his team's you know, conference title, to clinch a playoff berth, I think is huge for him. I think he's been a tremendous asset to them over the second half of the season when they've started to lean more into their run game. And I think that if the Washington team that we saw Friday night plays like that in the playoff, that team has a legitimate shot to win the whole damn thing. That they are just so good at breaking your coverage rules. And like I mm-hmm. I bet Oregon, I thought Oregon was going to win. I thought Oregon was going to win pretty handily. And most of that was because of how Penix had looked for about the past five weeks, which to me was hurt. Like short arm in the ball, just missing guys that normally he doesn't miss. I don't know what he took, like you know, Popeyes, spinach, Superman, potion, what what whatever you want to go with here. You know, it, Anti-pain inhaler, what, whatever, like you guys saw him. Like, I got, with I got some great pump. green juice out of the CBS Sports <laughs> HQ. Uh, you know, I was sitting there, I was like, man, I haven't had any vegetables. I'm going to get one of these green juices to be able to put in my body on this work trip. Yeah, something. Michael Penix has not looked that good in over a month, guys. Like that mm-hmm. was, I was, I was watching like, oh, oh, I'm dead here. Penix is fine. And, and this is, uh, this is tremendous work by Washington. The, the, the overwhelming feeling I have come away from this game is how off balance Washington kept Oregon's defense. Like I kept watching for it. Like is Penix really hurt? Is his ribs? What, what, what is going on here? Oregon barely touched him. Like they didn't get a lot of like, okay, they didn't get the sack, but they did get a nice pop on the guy. They just kept him off balance. Washington's offensive line just blocked their butts off. But they also did a nice job of using formation and motion to figure out kind of what the coverage rules were going to be to out leverage Oregon multiple times. Like their screen stuff in the first half, like throughout the first 20 minutes, I'm like, all right, Penix isn't making big time throws here. A lot of these are horizontal balls behind the line of scrimmage, and their 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 edge guys are blocking extremely well. Like their their skill guys are blocking, and Oregon is out leveraged or they're out gapped and. Eventually, they were able to, able to hit him with that Dylan Johnson stuff. To Tom's point, I, that is just a great job of coaching. I mean, the, just DeBoer kind of won in that game. Mm-hmm. I, I also and Grub, think, I guess. Yeah, Sorry. I, I think, like, it's a complicated game, but it's also very simple. And maybe it's one of those things that we kind of overlooked because, you know, when we're in charge of covering the entire country. You can get kind of lost in some of the details, but – the fact that Jalen McMillan was kind of banged up all year and Washington struggled at times, maybe we didn't do a good enough job of kind of connecting those dots because at the end of the day, when you've got Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, and Jalen Polk, there really aren't many defenses in this country that can do a good job of stopping your offense mm. because you can't yeah. cover all three of them. And we saw that on Friday night. All three were on the field and all three were as close to 100% healthy as they have been since the beginning of the season. And they cooked Oregon. 
time and time again. And that's why I think if that offense is healthy going into the playoff, they've got a really good shot against anybody they face. To uh, to shout out Quinnen Williams, you know, y'all had a great conversation with Roquan Smith as well. But like, that's why we're going to talk about those Alabama offenses as like legendary. Mm-hmm. What in the world is a college secondary going to do when you've got to do three NFL wide receivers at once? Mm-hmm. College, college offenses don't have three NFL wide receivers <laughs> at once. Yeah, you know, it's very, very unique. Um, great job of you know, recruiting, evaluation, development, you know, the way that they've been able to put it all together uh, there for the Huskies. All right, let's, uh, let's set a break and then continue to wrap it up. Coming up on the other side, we'll get into Michigan and Iowa. Huge win for Troy. Miami, Ohio getting it done. Oh, yeah. SMU, no starting quarterback? No problem. Mustangs in the American Athletic Conference era with a bang. And more. Next. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back here on the Cover 3 Podcast. Laptop sounds like a jet engine that's about to take off right now. <laughs> that's me every show. I'm, I'm used to the home studio, you know, with the big old desktop <laughs> and the, the machine going. But we're all good. We're still rocking. I mean, connection seems okay, right? Yeah, you seem great. All right, cool. You got that hotspot? <laughs> I, I do. It's, I mean, it's available. We need it. <laughs> got it. Okay. As of right now, we're we're just rocking and rolling with a regular uh, hotel setup. But yeah, I'm got the hot spot on the ready in case uh, in case this this starts to get a little bit jumbled uh, coming down the stretch. Okay, I'm gonna be honest here again. I mentioned I live blogged uh, Florida State Louisville. I was working on. We actually did have a tomorrow's top twenty five today that uh, you know still got turned. I, I know, but look, hey, ten of the top twenty five teams actually were in action. There was some shuffling. You know, you had to have SMU jumping up. Everybody's dying to know what the AP poll looks like tomorrow. <laughs> I, I, I know, but hey, look. 
the SEO on college football rankings still works. Um, not to give the game away, but so Tom or Bud, I mean, I, I, I didn't get any eyes on Michigan, Iowa. So what did I miss? Uh, you missed exactly what you thought you missed. Okay. I mean, Iowa never had a prayer in this game and offensively, they just, they couldn't do anything. It was the same old story as it has been all season long. The only difference is Michigan's offense really couldn't do anything either. Like I, I'm going to rewatch it because I'm disgusting, but it will be kind of what I'm trying to figure out if it was like a Georgia situation last week against Georgia tech. Cause like a lot of what Michigan was doing offensively was going like horizontally and it didn't make a ton of sense to me because like Iowa plays a lot of zone. They're very disciplined. And while they're not like super fast, if you're going side to side more times than not, Iowa's you're not going to get a big play. They've got bodies there because they're disciplined. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I got you. And I kept sitting there waiting. All right. Well, Michigan's going to take a deep shot here soon. Gonna take it. And then they never really did. And I'm trying, I don't know if it was just, they were like, eh, we're up two scores. We're up three scores. The only way we can lose this game is if we take a needless shot that we don't have to turn the ball over and give this team momentum. So I feel like a lot of the time Michigan was content just to be like, all right, if we have to take the sack and punt, we'll take the sack and punt. But still, their two scoring drives in this game were a five-yard drive following a long punt return and a six-yard drive. So it was 11 yards on two touchdown drives. Other than that, they managed three or four field goals. Iowa's defense played very, very well overall, but it was the same old story. Their offense did absolutely nothing for them. Even so, where it's like the one Deacon Hill fumble that set them up with a short field for their second touchdown, I don't think it was a fumble. Yeah. I I also think the clear and immediate recovery aspect of it was very much not what happened. So for them to overturn it surprised me, but at the same time, if I'm an Iowa fan, it's like, well, that sucks. I don't know how mad I could really be because, well, it's not like it would have mattered. So, like, okay, we'll take that touchdown away. We only lost 19 to nothing, you know. So, I don't know. It was, it was, it was exactly what you thought the Big Ten championship was going to be. I'm just happy Blake Corm got the two touchdowns, like I said he would, because I did bet that prop. So I, I'm sorry, I, I did a disservice. I, I should have properly introduced this game. It's time for sicko mode. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, how how many halves would Michigan have to play oh, no. against Iowa for Iowa to go over its two and a half in any half team total? Because they almost they, they kind of almost had it there in the first half, almost. And then they didn't. Uh, a couple like like things I'll take away from this: uh, Brian Ferentz losing his absolute mind <laughs> after the uh, at, at, after the turnover call. Yes. He did wear Iowa gear, yes. by the way, mm-hmm. and uh, that that was he got it. He got it. That's that's a great time to get an unsportsmanlike penalty, by the way. No no sarcasm because it's only half the distance to the goal. Right. Oh yes. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The ultimate. If, if you want to air the ref out, that is a good time to do it. We did see some guys air some refs out today. We'll get to that Troy game <laughs> in a second. Um, was going to break that man in half. Man, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he they the yeah. Um, has there ever been a 13-0 potential number one overall seed that we knew less about than Michigan? Or is it who they are? I, I, don't, I don't think I knew who they are at all. I, I, it's 
Will Johnson didn't play today. And it was so I'm funny because somebody, we, yeah, they trotted out. They're like, all right, let's go through the injury report. You know, which of these injuries is significant? And I'm running through it in my head before I open my mouth. And I'm like, well, I, I'm not concerned about a secondary issue for Michigan against Iowa. That's for sure. They, they, like, they, they play so slow. They don't really show anything. Like we, <laughs> from coaches who we talk to who have played them, it's like, yeah, they have real like first, second round dudes on that D line who will mess you up. Like that's you can't really hide or slow play that. We pretty sure that's that's the case. Everywhere else, I don't know. Like Tom, their center went out. They had a couple other offensive linemen hurt. I do have legitimate concerns about their offensive line. Yeah, because I I do think you can't just lose Zach Zinter, who is a very very good offensive lineman, and think yeah that won't be a problem. But they have been banged up at other spots. And you would, if you're Michigan, you're hoping that the month or whatever between now and when you're actually going to play again, it helps you heal up and improve. But depending on, like, if they get Texas in their semi, <laughs> that's going to be a problem. Like, because I don't know if the current construct of the Michigan offensive line could really hold up against that defensive line. So that's going to be very interesting to see. But you're right. Like, they've played two games this year where it feels like they actually had to try. And one of them was not tonight's game. So it is hard to know who they are offensively because I don't know how many times this year they've really had to go into anything beyond the first or second page of their playbook. And that will be a very interesting thing to see in the playoff because I do remember, like, they lost that game to TCU last year, but they also pulled some stuff out in the game that you hadn't really seen before. And I'm guessing we'll see something similar this year. It's just they're going to hope for better results, obviously. Yeah, not two pick sixes. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would highly recommend to anybody who makes the playoff this year, don't throw two pick sixes in your semifinal. I mean, you mention it a lot. We mention it a lot. So I don't I mean our regular audience, we've got a, a huge group watching us live right now on youtube.com slash cover three. Hit that subscribe if you'd like some more because we're gonna be rocking with you all through the rest of the season and all through the off season, talk to anybody who's with us. We continue this conversation with our love of college football. So we appreciate everybody jumping in. I, I know this is a, a unique time for the sport with these kind of playoff debates. So thanks for hanging out. But like there were two pick sixes in that game. What was a seven, six point. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't have the Michigan still almost won. Like yes. 52 to 46 mm -hmm. or something like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Like, Spotting them 14 points. A lot of people in the cover three tailgate <clears throat> continuing to bring up the points that Georgia spotted Alabama today, you know, as like being impactful. Yeah. It's all yeah, it turns it turns out you shouldn't give your other team points if you're trying to beat them. It's a it's a crazy strategy. This is how you stay number one in the college ball podcast charts. Is is it analysis like this? That this is, this is what we got, guys. <laughs> oh, all right, bud. <laughs> so we we're out here. We got teams out here keeping USGA handicaps. Like, you know what? We're gonna give you fourteen points to start. We'll just see what happens. <laughs> um, you mentioned heading into the weekend. You 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 did. But you did an appropriate thing of acknowledging a good point that was made to you regarding Troy and App State, that App State's run defense had improved. And, you know, I, I mentioned that Sean Clark had discussed some of the personnel changes and, and like I credited the coaching that they had said, like, look, 
even though these guys might not be the starters at the beginning of the year, they might not be the most highly rated guys, but these are the guys that are going after it in practice. We're going to start to give them playing time. And you know what? The run defense did improve. And defensively, they did improve. And Aguilar settled in. The passing attack took off. And you said, we'll see if that run defense is able to do something against Troy Kamari Vidal. More than 200 yards and five touchdowns later, <laughs> Troy ran it up on him to claim a Sun Belt title. An incredible little two-year run here for your boy John Summerall. I just think the guys are really good coach. Like, like Troy just plays their ass off almost every game. Like it, there's not a lot of teams that just play hair on fire all the time, but do so relatively under control. And they kind of do that. It, like it, it's, it's a fun team to watch. Now I will give a lot of flowers to app state's run defense for about the first 12 or so minutes of this game. Like they really did a nice job of stopping it. They were winning the line of scrimmage and they were loading it up. Like it wasn't just, Hey, our guys are winning. Like they were outnumbering Troy. And Troy, I think smartly here, I tweeted about this, they stopped running the ball. They're like, oh, okay, so in a 10-man box, we're no longer going to run the ball. We're going to actually throw the ball around. And Watson just threw it all over the yard for about the next seven or eight minutes. They score, and then it gets into a situation, and they pop a draw that App's not really expecting. Badal hits it pretty nice after they go down and score again. I'm like, oh, cool, 14 at the half. Do credit the app, man. They mounted an awesome drive, score right before half. I'm like, oh, we got a ball game here. But ultimately, Troy's defense just totally ripped. Ten tackles for loss, five sacks, and like you said, five touchdowns for for Vidal. And I mean, that was uh, that was pretty dominant. It, the final score, I don't think, indicates how close the game was. Yeah, like the I game agree. had some back and forth. Like with with ten minutes left, I think you knew it was probably over. But they, Troy did tack on two. Yes, maybe not over, but like. Pretty, you know, pretty well in hand. And what they were both 17? after Summerall lost his mind. Yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yes. Okay. So the, you guys will probably see this clip. Do we have the clip? I, I, that's on me. I didn't tell Jordan to load it up. So it's like second down, and Watson, the quarterback, gets his helmet like reversed onto his his head to where like where where his face go type thing. Not quite that bad, but it was it was a pretty clear face mask and. Summerall loses his shit to where I, I think it's is it the DB coach. Oh, I thought it was some poor soul. I thought it was Stafford because I didn't see a headset. I'm pretty well. The, the guy's Twitter name, because uh, Summerall tweeted the photo with him. It's like we're, we're all good because they, they were joking around about, about him, him grabbing him. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, like kind of had to be not like held back from hitting the guy, but like held back from getting a little closer to let the guy know just how bad that call was. And then they got a I don't know if it's a bailout, but like if, if there was any question as to whether there was defensive holding or not in the next play, there was some defensive holding for sure. Cause I think the refs mm -hmm. knew that they missed it. So yeah, congrats to Troy. Like that's that's a good football team, man. Look forward you to know, see it, where they go bowling. It was funny because I had to go do the SEC post game show and it was like Aguilar had just scored to make it 35 to 23. And I mean the game was, you know, over at that point still. And then I get off, do the seg, but I look at the final score and it was 49 to 23. And I was like, what the hell happened in the final three minutes? <laughs> Yeah, like I had over 28 runs. and a half, and I was sweating over 28 and a half in the fourth quarter, <laughs> or maybe late third. Yeah, they, I mean, you take out the first three quarters, Troy still wins this game 28 to 23. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> so I was a little bit disappointed with, oh, oh gosh, I hate the way this sounds already. 
I was a little bit disappointed with the media industry today. Leaking the Willie Fritz news during warmups. That's twice they've done that this year, by the way. Oh, man. They did that before, right before the Civil War to Jonathan Smith. I like I I I don't know. I mean, we're we're literally this is an instant reaction podcast. I I I have not gotten a chance to reach out to anybody who's close to that program to get a sense of whether or not Willie Fritz had had a conversation with his team. It's very possible that he sat down with his team because the word that we had picked up is that Willie was telling other schools, you know, I'm not going to be talking to anybody till after the championship game, and maybe he had told his his team that. And the Jonathan Smith, you mentioned the Civil War, the Jonathan Smith story was him in the press being like, yeah, I hope my agent is taking calls. That's what I pay him for. Like, maybe Willie Fritz told his team, like, you know what? Yes, my agent is probably talking to people right now, but I'm not talking to anybody until after Saturday because I'm invested in you and this game. And maybe it's all good. But if it's not the case, then that means they went out to stretch and go through warmups and they came back in and their phone is blowing up with their friends and their parents and everybody saying coach is gone. He is reportedly and seemingly on his way to go be the next head coach at Houston. And I couldn't help but think that that was hanging over a subpar performance for Tulane. Whereas Tom pointed out, they just couldn't convert a third down. Looked a little bit sluggish, looked a little bit out of sorts, had one good drive early and then just kind of got outplayed the rest of the way. I mean, I mean, Tom, am I being unfair or too dramatic by connecting those dots? I, I don't think that it's unfair. I don't know if it had that much of an impact because I think, first of all, like Tulane forced three turnovers in the first half of this game and then did nothing with them. And I think that maybe the news of Fritz leaving could have been deflating, but I would bet that was far more deflating than anything because Tulane's offense against this SMU defense, really, they scored right off the bat because of like a crazy play turnover that set them up with a short field. They go up seven to nothing. But after that, like SMU didn't give them an inch. Like it was a very, very strong performance from the Mustangs defense. And because I remember I was on HQ in the pregame talking about it. I was like, you know, SMU's defense has been great all year, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. But they haven't faced an offense like this Tulane, and they haven't faced a quarterback like Michael Pratt. And SMU was like, yeah, we haven't. It doesn't matter. We're going to shut them down anyway. Because that's what they did. And I think SMU deserves a lot of credit for that because they overcame their freshman quarterback making a lot of mistakes early in the game before he was able to truly settle in and get, get the offense rolling. And I think... I can't rule out Willie Fritz having an impact here, but I think SMU won this game more than Tulane lost it. Agreed. I mean, like to go to go out and rush for two hundred something when Tulane's definitely like, "Hey, backup quarterback, can you throw on us?" And they're like, "No, guess what? We're going to run on you, despite the fact you know we're going to run it." That says something. Like, nice work by SMU on that. They, I thought SMU did an awesome job in the transfer portal, like to get all those defensive linemen in there who really made like impacted the game. They harassed Pratt all day. Like, I know Tulane's got some guys trying to play through stuff, and like that's still a really good football team. But like SMU just looked physically superior mm-hmm. out there. And I, as they go into the ACC, um, they're going to be a top half team in the in the ACC. Yeah, like I like I like I had them over Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, 
um, Virginia, Cuse, Pitt, Boston College, and Wake in my ratings. That defensive line plays like it did today. I mean, they had seven sacks. Yeah. Well, they, and they're going to be a portal team. They had seven sacks. Uh, it was a yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, so, to be clear, so a few of them were on Pratt, just kind of not getting rid of the ball. But yeah, hanging they, on. The they were. Team. They were just whooping up on Tulane's offensive line most of the game. Okay, so we got some of um. Oh, Cusa. Friday night. Put Liberty at four. Screw Texas. I know. <laughs> I mean, during a commercial, during an ad break earlier, I saw somebody was like, "Oh, you're going to keep the same energy for Liberty." My bad, Liberty. Hell yeah! I was just sitting in the corner watching. I, I didn't didn't pay attention to. I'll, I did. I didn't. I did not include you. My fault. Sorry about that. Seven hundred twelve yards. <laughs> yep. And, and I I don't think New Mexico State's defense is poorly coached. We, we talked about this in the preview, right? We were like, look, they, they do a really nice job. They have played a bunch of kind of you know, offenses down the stretch. Liberty is a different beast for this conference. And I think it's pretty rare in which we think a, a Jerry Kill staff is not the best staff in the league. But I think you can argue that Liberty has the best staff in the league, and they definitely have the best resources in the league. And they have a quarterback who, relative to the competition level, looks like Vince Young. Mm-hmm. So – that's a problem when you got to face that. And it was like, okay, Liberty's defense is struggling. Pavia gets hurt in this game. Otherwise, it's yep. probably a little bit closer than it was. But like New Mexico State was moving the ball on them. And Liberty's offense is like, guys, don't worry. We got this. We're going to score a touchdown on almost every drive. And yet they they got stopped in the red zone a little bit. You know, like they they, they had a, a turnover on downs. They missed a field goal. A field goal, yeah. But ultimately, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven scoring drives for touchdowns of more than 65 yards. So that's pretty good. Like, that's just, that's a nice day at the office. Congrats to Liberty. Like, should they be for the near six over SMU? I, I, I don't know. Like, I personally, I have the QSA rated really low. New Mexico State beating Auburn does change this a little bit. Oklahoma not losing their final game also helps SMU because that's one of their losses. So you have right. lost to a, a 10-2 P5 team. However, your other loss was to, was to TCU, which is not going bowling. I don't know. Like, I think you can have some legitimate debate here. Yeah, like Liberty had nine possessions, that not including the two at the end of the first half and at the end of the game, seven touchdowns, a missed field goal, and a turnover at downs. It's a, it's a pretty good day at the office for the yeah. Flames. I, I think that yeah, um, I I would give them the New Year's six spot. They didn't lose. I know their schedule is nowhere near SMU's, but I feel like I mean, you're we're undefeated. talking about one spot. I will be shocked if the distance between SMU and Liberty is more than two or three spots. Mm-hmm. Also, like, I think if, you, if you're putting this together for a TV product, which the Bulls certainly are, and they, they like, do the Bulls get a say in this? No, not for highest rated group of five. Bulls, okay, they don't. All right. I, I think Bulls can have a bigger say in things that involve like Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, those like top 12, top 16, like some of those built in rules for where you have to hit to be selected. Um, I think highest rated group of five is still pretty much with the committee's rankings. 
Well, if if you're Liberty, though, would you rather be in a New Year's Six where you've got a decent chance of losing or be in a smaller bowl game where you can win and claim a national title? Because it would be Georgia in the Peach Bowl, <laughs> I think, if my projections of this please, are right. Please don't or, give no, us no, Georgia wait, versus Liberty. <laughs> wouldn't it be Alabama? Or is Alabama going to the Orange? Be. I don't know. I just please don't give us Alabama or Georgia versus Liberty. I don't think any of us need to see that. <laughs> On the contrary, my friend. It I mean, would. it would. <laughs> that would be, well, for Liberty, though, I will say the Custa, like their bowl tie-ins are so bad that if Liberty does not get to New Year's Six, they they drop all the way to the Cure Bowl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <gasps> okay. You ready? Yeah. Jerry Palm is Projecting Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl against the Oregon Ducks. See, that could actually be a fun game. I expect Oregon to win by 30, but that could be a fun, decent game to watch. Does Bo Nix play? No, probably. He he kind of dodged that question last night, didn't he? Um, They asked him about it. He says, I haven't decided yet, which typically means he's not going to (laughs) play. Yeah, the at-large spots. Uh, Jerry Palm, currently on CBSSports.com. If you want to go and check out his bowl projections, um, he has Oregon and Liberty in the Fiesta Bowl, then uh, Louisville and Alabama in the Orange, Georgia and Penn State in the Peach Bowl, and Missouri and Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl with matchups in the playoffs of Michigan and Texas uh, in the sugar, and then Washington and Florida State in the rose. Who's he got at one, though? Michigan. Okay, I think he's wrong about where they're going to play that game. Where they're going to play? Yeah. But, um, all right. I was, I was thinking that we had a light. So that's slate. like what? Like the New Year's six, besides the playoff games, is like four 21 point spreads. No, because bowl. No, 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 no. Not outside the playoffs. Bowl lines are all jacked. Yeah. Because of opt outs and transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Bowl season is the time of year where we get to lose all the money we won betting in the regular season. <laughs> yeah. You know, I I was so proud of myself for you know keeping keeping the you know my little rudimentary abacus going all through the season, not quitting on it. You know, riding the rough start, having the nice little middle of the year, and I was I was putting everything together, and I thought to myself, I was like, I'm not going to use any of these numbers in bowl season; they're worthless. <laughs> I just need to take it take it back and just go vibes, 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 and availability. Yeah, <laughs> basically what we're going to go on. There's so much stuff you got to track. It's really annoying. It's like, is this really worth it? Because there's like what. 45 bowl games, 42 bowl games. And it feels like four weeks worth of work to, to bet like less than a full, like, you know, regular co- like college ball weekend worth of games. But we're going to be here picking every single one of them on the cover three podcast. <laughs> I'll tell you what, look, I mean, if anybody is going to have a better read on availability and vibes, it it's like, no one is going to be better than us. This is true. So like understand the, fire that you are playing with 
because we're being honest with you about it. But help many we'll shows right probably won't talk about the Bulls at all. What? Many shows probably won't talk about the Bulls at all. Like we're going to give you a lot of playoff episodes, but like we will actually talk about your Bulls. Like because only four that, fan bases are Bulls, in the playoffs, right? Bulls. You said Bulls. Okay. Yeah. Good. You thought um, I said Poles or you thought I said Knowles? <laughs> oh, oh, got it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Anything else? I want to talk about vibes. All right. How about this? We all knew Miami was going to win that game over Toledo because of the vibes. Right. Because Chuck Martin teams win. Chuck Martin teams overperform the expectations jason campbell teams don't Shout i mean around. you're running the alabama of the mac mm-hmm. and you know what the alabama of the sec just won the sec the alabama of the mac just lost by nine D- didn't we call him mario of the mac <laughs> <laughs> we did call him mario of the mac. <laughs> which is unfair because he won the he won the title last year Yes. And, and, Against you know, a, a rorkless Ohio. <laughs> That's fair. Asterisk. He's had to play backup quarterbacks in each of the last two MAC championship games. <sighs> yeah, it was. Uh, uh, but but Brom lost to one today, too. So like, it, mm-hmm. it, you can't be a good coach and still lose one of those. Um, I mean, Avion Smith had a, a rough day throwing the football. I mean, but he had was, 100 rushing yards. It was clearly oh windy inside for it. <laughs> Dude. It was, oh, I'm like, if Avion Smith can hit one pass to one of these wide open guys that Miami, Ohio is scheming, this game is gone because Toledo ain't blocking a soul. And instead, and I love Avion Smith because I had the money line sprinkle today. And like, I'm, I'm really happy for, for him. And obviously, Chuck Martin's staff does a great job. He looks like he's throwing a vase out there. Like, I'm like, this is like, like th- I thought, like, what, what object is he throwing? I'm like, it looks like he's trying to throw a very large vase, like, like across the living room, you know? And, and like, this is so, like, non competitive. And then they finally got one. I'm like, yes, he kept the ball in bounds. Did, did the receiver catch it? No, but we got a pass interference. All right, do it again. It was, it just felt like impossible, but like, Miami, Ohio's defense just, how many, se- I, I don't, I don't have the box score up. They had to have 10 tackles for loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were crap out of Toledo's quarterback. They blocked three field goals. Mm-hmm. And the, the blocked right? field goals was bananas. And then even on one of those blocked field goals, Toledo recovered it and got a first down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, okay, this is how we lose this today. This is great. <laughs> great just, performance by the Red Hawks. That was Man. just like, that was a Mac game to the very end. It was just wonderful. What a deep, like, they we talk about like certain offensive coaches figuring out stuff and like they're like okay we, we know your coverage rules we're gonna bust them i don't know what miami ohio does but like they bust your protections they're getting free runners like untouched and we watch a lot of mac because it's on cbs sports network sometimes like guys they're not touched it, it's it's a thing of beauty mm-hmm. it's like i've never seen an a gap so wide open god yeah they open that thing up Um, I think I'm, I think I'm cleared out Boise. I honestly, I didn't get to, there was, I got a lot on, you know, Tulane SMU, you know, we had the, it was at the same time as app state Troy, 
Obviously, we had everything that is Alabama FSU. Uh, excuse me, not Alabama FSU. Alabama Georgia. I was I was on camera at the top of every hour, doing like fifteen minutes of reaction and updates. So that unfortunately, that one with that three p.m. Eastern time start kind of fell in a little bit of a dead zone for me. So I was happy to catch the over, but and and it was very quick. I very quickly saw that my handicap on the game was probably going to cash on uh, them not being able to stop Boise's offense. Mm -hmm. So congrats to the Broncos. I mean, I guess we got to give them the job now, right? They were calling for it after the game. The players were. There was, um, yeah, it was, it was uh, Boise just kind of jumped out real quick and UNLV never really had it. I mean, they hung around in the first half. They battled back, made it, you know, it was 31 to 17. You thought, okay. I did not scores. see Taylor Green throwing for as many yards as he did in this game. Yeah. No, that Boise played well. I mean, two, he averaged 15 yards an attempt. But like, yeah. The, once the second half started, like you thought, okay, you could entertain the idea that UNLV could work its way back into this game. But Boise just kind of snatch that right away in the second half but you're right they, the way they scheduled this game was poor planning in my opinion because it was really in like having the game start at the end of the early games and then having it kind of come to a conclusion during the start of the sec championship i, I i'm not sure what the thought process was there but i guess you can also argue what time are you going to start it where it wouldn't have been in that kind of circle yeah i mean i looked up and it was on a screen and i was like awesome uniform matchup that's <laughs> <laughs> And it was, you know, the blues for Boise and the reds for UNLV, but I, I saw a bunch of scores. I didn't get a chance to really dive into the game. Mm -hmm. And Jaden Mayva did not play well. Taylor Green did. Ashton Genty was Ashton Genty. And yeah. just Boise, shout out, firing your coach, I guess, is the new, the new hotness for winning your conference. <laughs> what a weird year in the Mountain West. Yes. Yeah. Like at, at varying points of the year, I thought that Air Force was the best team. Early Ain't on. No. I, yeah. Mm -hmm. Early on, I thought maybe Wyoming was the best team. They were certainly, at least in my ratings, times when Fresno was looking like the best team in the league. UNLV eventually. San Jose State. Yes. Like, I, I don't really think that UNLV. Boise San Jose would have been a better game to me. Based like, on form at the end of the year. Yes. Yes. UNLV to my, uh, again, I, I'm telling you, I didn't watch today, but I watched a lot of UNLV this season. I did not think UNLV was playing its best football in the last two, three games of the season. But they, but the games that they won in like week one and two and three and four, they do count. Well, they beat Fresno. Remember, like, that was a big one. That was when I really started believing in my ticket. It's like, oh, oh, got that one out the way. They might do this. But, um, yeah. Did you hedge it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Shout out, by the way, Oklahoma State. Thanks for giving me absolutely no shot in hell of hedging that ticket today. You just made sure that game was over quick. Um, all right. So that's all of them, right? Unless they created a new conference they told us about. No, we're killing off conferences, Tom. We're not building new ones. Uh, well, I mean, the, the, the chat does think the SC is going to secede if, uh, if things go as the current uh, Vegas odds are as we go to bed. 
Well, then who will the SEC brag about beating if they can only play themselves? No more non-conference games. All right. So, I listen, it's we've been going for an hour and 39 minutes. It's 1.30 a.m. Eastern time. <laughs> I thought about saving this, but maybe this is a more appropriate time for it because we'll have more important things tomorrow. I'm not telling an Alabama fan, like, eat your dessert and like it. That's a hell of a season. The way the Auburn game ended, the way the Georgia game ended, and I, I think back to something that Tom's talked about, about growing up as a Big Ten fan, and as the Big Ten has expanded, Tom has shared that winning the Big Ten is the goal, right? Mm-hmm. And that like those things mean more. And if you are an Alabama fan, and look, Alabama might make the playoff and maybe it's Florida State fans that you're having to talk to on Sunday. But if you are an Alabama fan, it is not a disappointing season if the College Football Playoff Selection Committee slots you fifth. Because what you did to Auburn in their house after all those years of pain in their house and what you just did to Georgia to maintain your unbeaten mark against the dogs in the SEC championship game, telling those pups who's who and what's what, it's a good season. Mm-hmm. I'm not memory. telling you to just be happy with it, but I'm just saying like, it's, you did a lot of the things that mean the most to most Alabama fans. I'm, I don't know if he's been doing it tonight. I know he will be this weekend. But if we're pulling out some DK receipts, I do remember somebody saying that Alabama's dynasty was dead in week two when they lost to Texas. No, here Alabama is winning the SEC and beating Georgia. Just DK receipts, Danny. DK receipts. Hashtag DK receipts. <laughs> Good, strong, strong finish. We hit 40,000. I have something in my eye. Chad's noticing it. Yeah. <laughs> we hit 40,000 subs on YouTube. Today? Yeah. Like during the show, Jordan just said. Oh, thank in, you. In the private chat. Appreciate nice. you guys. Yeah. And, if, if, and you're, if you're watching this and you haven't, go ahead and smash it. If you're watching this later, smash it. You listen to this, go to youtube.com slash cover three, smash it. We will be back soon in less than 12 hours 12 15 p.m eastern time we'll be back reacting to the college football playoff semifinal announcements we appreciate uh everybody hanging out please come join us then and you can follow him on twitter at tom Fernelli. you can follow him at bud elliott three you follow me at chip underscore patterson gentlemen thank you very much thank you Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. 
Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.